welcome to another episode of Sighting the Tone, and in your retrospective, the show we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we're discussing Season 9, Episode 14, which is titled No Strings Attached. Also a shitty movie. The episode aired on February 6, 2003. Lauren was going that week 20 years ago. Also, I'm sorry. It set me up for failure. I'm sorry. Um, one of the worst accidents in NASA's history occurs as the space shuttle Columbia breaks apart while trying to re-enter Earth's atmosphere after a 16-day mission in space. It was determined that a small piece of insulating foam broke off the fuel tank of the launch module, damaging the heat shield on the left wing of the shuttle. This caused the wing to superheat during re-entry, eventually destroying the left wing entirely, which then caused the shuttle to enter an uncontrolled spin and break apart entirely at 9 a.m. EST. I believe it was February 1st. Sorry, I forgot to put the date down as well. Oh, darn. Oh, but oh, oh darn. Wouldn't, wouldn't want to get that uh, little detail wrong. But I, yeah, uh, uh, so they knew about it uh, while they were up there. Like there was, they were looking yeah. into it and they were trying to see if there was anything they could do. And there was talk of sending up a rescue shuttle because the, what's your mind, the special Atlantis, I think is what it was, was like basically fueled and ready to go for another mission so, uh, that was going to happen soon. And there, it was a lot of, it was a calamity of errors, as these things often are. It's one thing, and then mismanagement, and then overconfidence, and then one thing leads to another, and you have seven dead astronauts, unfortunately. Yeah, in the, in this particular case, it was like, <laughs> it was, it, they, be, like, I think it was everyone up to, but not including the crew. Like, they didn't, I don't think they told them about it. I don't think yeah. they were aware. So, well, I don't think they were aware of how bad of a problem it was. Right, yeah. And so, like, they're essentially... It, it ended up being just like, oh, hope it works out. Fingers crossed. Like, it was like they really... I mean, and the, the, the unfortunate reality of just space exploration in general is that, like, there's not that much you can do in a, like, situation like this. There is, like it's still just a very dangerous uh, expedition of any kind. Like that's why it's so rare to, you know, have long, you know, long running space missions, you know, like not, uh, obviously we still have like the, uh, what is it? The international space station or whatever, mm -hmm. but like these type of things, like they're just not that common because it's a lot of risk for, you know, marginal returns, relatively speaking, you know, it's just, and there's, you know, we've seen with the, the, they always talk about it in all the, the, uh, space related media how like once we landed on the moon space travel kind of lost its sex appeal like and so like there's not that much public interest and generally speaking the public only pays attention to space stuff when shit like this happens like when something bad happens and like people die or there's a big calamity like it's the two most notable of things in the last 40 years of space travel is if you ask the average person are columbia and the challenger yeah and they're the two biggest like fuck-ups in nasa's history at least on the upside of this it wasn't like challenger where like civilians tons of, tons of civilians and school kids and teachers and everyone were watching yeah. because of christy mcauliffe right this was Although just I, this was just I, a mission i do remember watching this live as not as it happened because they did they obviously weren't reporting on it because it was a very like routine thing it was like oh this space shuttle's landing today yeah but i i do remember being at home with 
my parents and I want to say a sibling was home visiting for some reason. And we turned on like the Today Show and all you saw were just like the streaks of debris in the sky and stuff. And that was the story for, you know, the rest of the day was mm-hmm. just this this horrible tragedy. Yeah. So and then if you th- and then they eventually released video of the launch where you're if you're looking at a slow-mo version of it, you can see the chunk break off, uh-huh. hit the wing, and then disintegrate yep. down into the into the pl- jet plumes. Fucking crazy, man. Hit it at 500 mile, over 500 miles an hour. So, yeah. It's, yeah. It, and the, I think the uh, debris field, I want to say, was like across most of texas like it was like yep a ridiculously large debris field and uh it's actually a federal crime uh to possess any part of the debris uh that that landed on the ground uh like all that stuff had to be turned over to the the federal government immediately and if uh, anybody's got any any little tiny bite-sized pieces of the uh columbia shuttle sticking around you're uh, at risk for federal prison well on that note lauren what happened what else happened Oh, guys. Uh, I'm going to do this just for fun. Rapper 50 Cent, just because I just... Sorry, I just... You gotta steer out just, of the skid somehow. It's stuck in my head. Rapper 50 Cent releases his smash hit album, Get Rich or Die Tryin'. The album would go on to be the best-selling album of 2003, selling 12 million copies worldwide. Singles include In Da Club, 21 Questions, and P.I.M.P. I'm just, I'm just, it's just going to be what it's going to be today, guys. And The Recruit, the spy thriller starring Al Pacino and Colin Farrell, debuts and narrowly beats out fellow newcomer Final Destination 2, a.k.a. the reason why no one wants to drive behind logging trucks anymore for the box office crown. It ha- Every fucking time I am on a freeway, without fail, yep. if, there's a, if there's any form of, like, logging truck, or, like, if they're transporting, um rebar or anything yeah, like, like that I'm, or something. I'm like yeah. can you not be behind them please can yeah. you just oh like... yeah no I, I do i do it i know but i'm just Daniel, a fantastic this... a fantastic opening sequence in that movie and it only <gasps> lost up by like six hundred thousand dollars to their crew like... which no one which uh, by all accounts is a whole hum by the numbers yeah it was like daniel movie. is this a is this a core memory for you to not drive behind these anymore <laughs> oh yeah i i watched this movie a fair this is one of those um uh, late night movie channel movies mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that was that was on quite a bit and it's 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 fascinating to me how enduring that sequence is for people <sighs> when you consider that those movies are if you go back and try to watch them today mm-hmm. they're so dated. oh i like, watched they, the first one like a, i want to say like six months ago and i was just like oh my god i haven't tried they, two or three yet but they age like milk and it's oh, not I can't even imagine it's not even just that like the the references don't land or or like the the humor is is outdated you know the because they were very like it's very of, of time. its time late 90s early 2000s kind of edge lord horror where it's like oh man we're gonna be cool and have you know, spiky hair and, you the know, first Dorito. one like, has so many oh hey it's that guys where they went on to do like other parts in similar like yeah and as i recall and, and it's one of those things too it's another one of those quirks of those late night movie channel type things i've seen two way more than yep. i've seen one like yep. i've i've seen two probably a dozen times i've seen one maybe once or twice and as i recall one is like holy shit like this is like a couple steps above a student film like this is this is so bad like this is so like the the budget on this 
I, I feel like the budget for, for our show has to be sometimes a little bit above what they were doing for Final Destination. <laughs> like, this is, yeah. it's not good. It's really bad. I, and, uh, they, are, they are movies where you watch the opening sequence because they usually pour like 90% of the budget into that, mm-hmm. and then you're good. You're good. I will say, there's, there's something from, I think it's two or three, where they're like in a car... <clears throat> And you're like, shit, you know, death's coming for him, whatever. And then one of the guys gets super paranoid. And as it's going on, there's a song that's played like there is someone walking behind you. And just there is it's a horrific scene. And it's just like there's not much that Final Destination does right. But the tone of that scene, like I'm sure if I heard that song today, I would still be like, yeah, (laughs) like but the uh, the sunbait or the. Oh my god. The this tanning bed this oh, tanning yeah. bed scene in three is still by far just the most horrific thing uh, ever. For me, and it's the one in this movie where the gas tank explodes and then the wire fence just shoots across a field and slices a guy in three into three pieces. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. What a lovely uh way to open this episode. So anyway, Michigan's iron grip on the music charts has finally loosened up. It's bump bump bump. I I can't do fun noises today, guys. By B2K featuring P Diddy is the number one song for its first and only week. Daniel, please for the love of God, what else was on? Uh well, good good news for you. We got uh, a whole host of reruns here. We got two new episodes and two uh two reruns. Uh, at 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with the Blind Dates. Uh, 8.30, Friends Rerun. At 9, Will and Grace with the new episode Homojo. Homojo. No idea. I'm really beginning to hate Will and Grace titles. Mojo, but homo. Uh, sure. Uh, and at 9.30, a Will and Grace Rerun. Uh, this uh, week's episode had 20.9 million viewers tuning in, directed by Jonathan Kaplan, doing his 27th out of 40. Uh, and previous ones of his from this season include One Can Only Hope and Chaos Theory, and written by Dee Johnson, doing her 11th out of 19 as a writer. And previous ones of hers from this season are Next of Kin and Dead Again, and No Luca and No Corday this week. Uh, previously on is brought to us by Abby, and we open with, uh, in the ambulance bay. We got a 17-year-old patient, uh, she lost consciousness on the scene. Her name is Gayla Ray and is played by... Played by actress Reagan Gomez-Preston, who uh, appears in stuff like, uh, appeared in stuff like Jerry Maguire, uh, Almost Home, and the delightfully titled The Parent Hood, as in The Hood. Uh, ah. I think it was a TV series because there was uh, multiple episodes listed, but couldn't tell you. Anyway, uh, this is going to be like one of, our, one of the patients from our, like, our central accident. It's not... It's barely a mass casualty. There's like four or five patients, I think, or something like that. We that could call up it in. an. We can call it an incident. An incident. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was an auto versus multiple pedestrians. A 16 year old ran into several people at a school. This will be fine. Yeah. Uh, and then we go over to Romano telling the team how to run the trauma to get people out quickly because he's like, guys, we need these rooms. Come on, let's go. Setting myself up here. Whose films are those? I'm just, eventually I got to get it back to where you guys are prompting me again. But (laughs) for now, whose films are those? Um, As they're working on Gala, uh, Romano says, Rocket Romano never lets anything happen to pretty girls like you. And you can tell this whole episode, Paul McCrane is wanting Romano to be more. You can see him flexing Mm -hmm. these chops. And there were several moments where I was just like, God damn it, the injustice of it all this episode. So I'm that's just going to be me for the next season, is just screaming about how Paul McCrane was done dirty. 
But with that being said, Anspa asks to speak to him mid-trauma about some mystery memo, and we learn that he's going to be a supervising attending only on procedures he can perform himself. Hmm. Hmm. And in mention of the mystery memo, there is also a congratulations to Carrie. Hmm. Hmm. And then, just because fuck me, we're in with bangs and lightning today. That whole first sequence, there was lightning going on in the background, because we can't have nice things. Thunderstorm. Thunder, thunder. But then we go over to Susan. (laughs) I don't know know anything. Then we go over to uh, Susan and Abby talking about teens getting licenses. And I think it's Susan says, if you can't vote, you shouldn't be able to drive. Um And we learn Carter is leaving for Belize to go scuba diving with some buddies, and Susan has a blind date. What a fun, sexy time for both of them. Uh, We have another injury from that incident. Uh, Sasha Melman, also from the collision, obviously. Um, Her legs were injured. And then we have the driver of said vehicle, Helen Brosnich. Uh, minimal, Minimal injuries compared to everyone else. No loss of consciousness. And, oh, hey, it's that girl from last episode. Glad we closed the loop on that. Yeah. Yep, great, cool. <laughs> and see, in, in keeping with season nine, this will have a horrific swerve at the end, of course. Of course, of course. Uh, and then we go to uh, Pratt and Chen still working on their trauma patients. Uh, Carrie uh, tells them to call it off and call time of death so that they can clear the room. Uh, Helen sees this as they're wheeling her in, and the patient that they're about to call time of death on is one of her classmates. So, not great. Uh, we see uh, back at the admin desk, Frank is reading a note on a bottle of champagne for uh, Carrie from the Alderman, uh, and uh, he warns <laughs> warns Carter about mosquitoes and pirates in Belize. So, uh, we see Chen and Pratt doing some flirting, and Carter asks about it. Uh, very, very concerned, like weirdly yeah. concerned. I feel like, like, oh, you and Pratt? Yeah. Well, because um, he thinks Pratt's a dingus. So, well, I mean, Pratt is a dingus, but it's a little none bit. of his business. Uh, Maggie has called for Abby, uh, and Abby tells Frank to take a message, kind of ducking Maggie's calls here, because I guess, what, what? why is she ducking Maggie's calls here? Because Maggie was the one that influenced Eric to not stay in the program, and then kind of sort of encouraged Eric to spread his wings and fly his own uh-huh. on his own journey. Or his own airplane, as it were. Uh, yeah, but... <laughs> So Maggie is like, uh, so she's been very angry at Maggie the entire time. So obviously not talking to her. So she thinks Maggie's just like trying to reach out and be like, oh, I'm sorry. And like trying to like repair the family, quote unquote, wherever, whatever that means for them. So and Abby just doesn't want to do it. She's not into it. Uh, And Carter tries to encourage her uh, to make nice with Maggie and talk to her. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and then we see a uh, cop asking one of the students what happened as Gallant and Susan talk about what might have happened. And we find out that Helen, the driver, her talk screen was clean. And she her story is that she swerved to avoid a squirrel. Uh, and then we also find out that Susan's blind date called ahead because the restaurant they had picked out doesn't work for him because he's a dirty vegan. Uh, Those damn hippies. I don't know. I'm a steak gal. So and I always will be, I think. So soon anyway. by, by her own admission yeah. later in the episode. Exactly. Uh, let's go to our first audio clip here. Romano and Carrie are talking about a press conference. So penis thyroidectomy will now be supervised by Dr. Corday. Correct. What about Jocelyn Gaines, Bill Roth, too? Uh, unfortunately, if possible, I'm buried in administrative backwash. If not? Anspar will take it. Robert. Carrie. 
There's going to be a press conference in a few minutes. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Look, I know you wanted the position, and I just wanted to check in and make sure that you're feeling okay about all this. Well, uh, how am I feeling? Um, pretty damn grateful, actually. I've got a good heart, good soul, and unlike our newly appointed liaison, two good legs. Dr. Weaver, we're ready for you. Ask yourself what you did to deserve this, Carrie. A lot of hard work, actually. Yeah, and what your alderman wants in return. He doesn't want anything. Not everyone's an opportunistic asshole like you. Yeah. So I'm told. A lot of people are opportunistic assholes, though. But you gotta love the uh, the after ten o'clock time slot. Get away with saying things like opportunistic asshole. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're they're not gonna get away with that on Friends. I do love that he's like, "What's our alderman want out of it? Like, yeah, you worked hard, but what's the catch?" Mm-hmm. I also I also like that now that he not that it would have stopped him before, but it's a little bit more palatable as an audience uh, viewer that uh, now that he's also disabled. Uh, mm-hmm. They can have a little bit more of a tit for tat about. Yep, two working <laughs> legs. Yeah, he can give uh, Carrie shit about her disability just as much uh, now that he has his own. So, disability okay. buddies. Yes, which again, guys, do not joke about somebody's disability unless they've given you express permission to do it, or you're an asshole like Romano. Hey. There is no in between. Uh, but then, oh, guys, why? <laughs> oh, there was. Why? Now, the, I, usually, it's not intentional. This time, it was <laughs> intentional. Oh, uh, I'll tell you, I listened to this before we started recording just to get properly grossed out. Just so you the face Daniel just made. <laughs> okay, so with that being said, uh, Carter and Abby are snuggling in bed talking about his upcoming trip. And she just giggles to herself and she's like, God, I have this song stuck in my head. And he's like, what one? And she laughs. She goes, it's from the 70s. He starts guessing songs. And then she starts singing Afternoon Delight. Just super awkwardly and just totally owning it that this is what's in her head. And I wish for as many times as Daniel has put stupid pic- faces that I've made on the internet, I wish I had the picture of his mm. face right now. Mm. Daniel, go ahead. I just, oh, God. Like, this, okay, I, I feel like, I feel like I won't get much pushback on this. Is this the worst scene in the show? <laughs> like, maybe ever? No. <laughs> like, this is. I think it's certainly the worst to this point, I'm not sure there won't be something worse that comes later. I like how we complain all about how terrible Leon is and everything else, and then you're like, no, this I, is worse. I would rather have had the, the focus of the show shift to follow Leon's adventures in Baltimore than relive this scene one more time. Daniel, it's this, called The Wire, okay? This, no, this, is, this is so... So bad. My soul left my body watching. And I must have, like, I heard when I posted the, like, response thread for this episode, people were like, oh, this is the one with the, the afternoon delight scene. Oh, God. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. Clearly, I went through intensive therapy to block <laughs> this out because watching this, I wished I was dead. Like, I was just. It's because, like, it's so on the nose and it's so stiff like it's not helped by the fact that there's very very little if any sort of you know authentic chemistry between these two and so like it just has this like real real like awkward wooden thing happening i just (laughs) i just don't like and i i feel i have like secondhand I usually hate the term cringe, but like I have like hey. secondhand embarrassment for hey, Daniel. 
more Tyrion now, and Noah Wiley in this case. Now you know my discomfort when there's gratuitous sex nonsense going on. That that feeling of your soul leaving your body is me when we go a step too far with our jokes on Mike. That's that's mm. the ripping the headphones off sensation. So now every time you do it to me, that's the feeling. Also, Daniel, you should find a uh, high-res Im- high version of that image that you have in the notes here. Yeah, I put and the... just slap an STT logo on, and then we can make it the out al- the <laughs> the episode the artwork. Party. Yeah, I put the, I put in the notes. If you're not uh, if you're not reading our show notes on uh, Patreon, first of all, you're missing out. Second of all, um, I did put a picture of the mother from The Sopranos uh, saying, "I wish the Lord would take me now." Under this, also, uh, <laughs> Daniel, now that nine seasons in, you've opened this option for notes. Shit posting in our notes. <laughs> Shit posting in the notes. Uh, um, it's gonna get so much better or worse depending on how you're looking at it. It's gonna have so much burst. But just, then it, it, it's just so so terrible. I I am I I defy I challenge anybody. Like I said, maybe there's something worse in the future that I've blocked out. But I defy anybody to come up with something in the first eight and a half seasons of this fucking show that's worse than this minute and a half of <clears throat> this these two fucking mannequins in bed with one another singing. I just cannot. I can't do it. Um, I'm going to say anybody fighting over Neela, and I'm sure plenty of people are going to say Salmon Gates. That's all after the fact. I'm talking about first eight and a half seasons. There is nothing worse than this scene. Nothing. I thought it was fine. Well, that was really it's, that was really good ASMR. Jesus, that was, was like... But, mm. but it is not the first, nor will it be the last time that Lizzie has been completely wrong. So... That's our show. That's right. That's <laughs> saying the tone, a, a Lizzie's wrong retrospective. Don't challenge me. I will make that artwork. Uh, but then in case it couldn't get bad enough, her phone rings and Carter unplugs it so they can make out more and fuck without being bothered. Cool. There's not awesome. what anyone just wants just to be fuck with just a fuck without being bothered. No, <laughs> I want to watch Netflix and eat ice cream. Thank you. <laughs> without, very being, much. without being bothered. Yeah, without being bothered, that's the crucial part. Take the other filth away from me. I just want to snack and be left alone. <laughs> the, the other filth. Lauren, I love you. <laughs> yeah, I love you too. Uh, but then we go over to the press conference with the alderman, speaking of filth, and Carrie has been named the medical liaison to Cook County's Public Health Administration, which is a lot of words to say she's not doing shit. Uh, Romano watches her as she gives her answers during the press conference and they're like, oh, how are you going to do your work-life balance? And she's like, oh, you know, well, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, well, Alderman goes, good thing she's single, and so am I. <laughs> they're both gay. Just, and then, uh, just, and then I, I don't love the the whole, like, kissing on the lip or on the, the, the cheek. Uh, on TV. Yeah, like, it's it cringy was just, and weird. The arm and... around and everything. It, it definitely does not read as great in 2023. Just don't yeah. touch other people. Right. And then I also was like, I thought they were going to make a bigger deal out of uh, the whole, oh, she's single on TV thing. Like, I thought that that was because she's on the phone later in the episode with Sandy. Sandy, And I thought it was going to be another one of these like, you're not all the way out gay kind of like arguments. Like, but they really don't do anything with it. Uh, Gallant and Susan are still waiting for Helen's mom. Susan's working on finding a restaurant for her date because he's vegan and... You want to talk about being wrong. Just 
vegan. Okay. No, I can't but do it. But some of, some of that shit's delicious. Yeah, I mean, and if you have like a, a nutritional or even a moral, you know, re- there's plenty of valid reasons to be vegan. I know. I just, can't do it. But I just can't fathom myself being vegan. I have, definitely, I have definitely found myself uh, more in the last year or so, like, opening up to more, like, vegetarian options mm-hmm. at least. Like, yeah. I, I would definitely, like, if I was just living alone, cooking for myself, never had to worry about anybody else's dietary preferences, I'd probably end up just eating meat substitutes or vegetarian 98% of the time. Sorry, you'd live with a carnivore. I live on an omnivore, thank you very much. You do eat some plant matter, but it's just, yeah, when you have two people to consider when you're shopping, it's kind of like, I don't want to buy two of everything to get, like, Mm -hmm. the meat substitute and the meat, or, like, what protein am I going to put? It's just too much work, so I suffer, but, yeah, if I had my way, I'd probably mostly be vegetarian at this point. Could not do vegan, though. I love cheese and half and half too much. Anyway, a woman is brought in, uh, old woman, Wilma Rasmussen, she's 94 years old, fever altered and brought in by her daughter, and they are played by... Uh, Wilma is played, first of all, unbelievable, like, win of the week here, that both of these women are still alive, and... Whoa! And Whoa. still kind of working, too. Like, both Whoa. of them had credits to, like, ni- to 2019, 2022, like, around that, that range, like... I was shocked. I thought for sure at least one, if not both, of these ladies would be gone. But they are both still with us. Uh, Wilma is played by actress Eve Brenner, who uh, did a voice in the one of the best and most underrated Disney movies of the 1980s, uh, The Great Mouse Detective. Not enough people talk about that fucking movie. Uh, Walk of Shame and Murder in the First. And Sharon, the daughter, she is played by actress June Squibb, who appeared in stuff like Nebraska, In and Out, and About Schmidt. Uh, fucking love me some great mouse detective underrated disney let's talk about it uh we then see uh chen and pratt in the uh doug and carol uh memorial drug closet uh he apologizes for flirting with her at work and causing gossip uh chuny sees the whole thing and makes eyes at them and uh, says that pratt's been acting all in love why, Chuni? Why? Chuni's just got her like nose and everything this episode, and is just stirring up trouble, and I love it. I don't know if it's just this episode. She's kind of that's kind of her brand is being a little bit into everything. Okay, uh, but this this one more. Than this this lately. episode in particular, yeah. And Pratt's working with a gentleman, having lots of medical complaints. So he says he has pernicious anemia. He's been taking B twelve shots, but his doctor died on him, so he needs a new prescription for him. And he is, you know. Th- Pratt's kind of going back and forth with him about, like, oh, yeah, we'll see about that, like, whatever. And he pulls out a card that says he's the uh, president of the Victims of Pernicious Anemia Club or... Society or something. Yeah, society. Something. Advocacy group. Yeah. And he's Uh, played by? He is played by uh, Stan here, uh, is played by actor Robert Costanzo, uh, who appears in stuff like Total Recall, Die Hard 2, and Saturday Night Fever, and has a whopping 290 credits to his name. He is by far and away our high watermark actor for the episode. Um, And I wanted to point out that both Stan here and Sharon, the daughter, uh, Wilma's daughter, um, both get name checked in this episode. Like, they both get they are named characters, and yet if you look on the IMDb cast list, they are credited um, respectively for uh, Sharon as, um, what was it, uh, like, 
old woman daughter or something and then like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then this and uh, stan is credited as pernicious anemia guy so it was really mailing it in on the uh the casting notes was imdb on this one i'm shocked oh but then we learn wilma has a kidney infection and the daughter's like oh no is that serious and susan's like at 94 everything's serious like the fuck you want lady um and two girls come in asking for their friends who were in the accident. Just like, oh, is everybody okay? Did somebody die? Did they both die? Like, it's blah, 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 blah. Teenage girls obviously very excited about it. They barge into Helen's room asking what happened. And Helen's like, get, get out. Like, what the fuck? And as they're leaving, it's like, oh, she's a freak anyway. And we learn that, you know, those girls are popular. They don't, they never talk. Why? Hmm. Helen sounds a little upset about this. Mm. Wonder what's going on. But then the alderman compliments Carrie on the conference and how well she did, and she offers to write him a prescription for more Vicodin for his knee in front of Susan because he's limping on it a little bit and just hmm. Oh hi, opioid crisis. Yep. Uh, apparently, there's been still no word from Luca. Carrie calls to leave a message to yell at him and threatens to have him deported <laughs> if he doesn't get his shit together. Which is not uh, funny, but it is. The delivery is great. Yeah, the delivery is great. Um, but then Carrie tells Gallant to treat Helen and get her discharged. She's like, it's a fucking fractured ankle. Get her out. What's she still doing here? So Carrie's clearly not paying too much attention to this case. And Abby has two more messages from Maggie that Frank is still trying to give her. Neat. Okay. Everybody's a mess. Cabby comes in because there's an injured woman in his cab, but he doesn't know any of her information, and her gut is sliced uh, open. Not like she hasn't like lost her innards, but like her innards have not become her outards. Yeah, uh, but she says she needs to pick up her kids from school. Her name is Monica Walker, and she's played by played by actress Patrice Johnson, who is uh, appears in stuff like Pose, Evil, and Shrill. That's three separate things. Okay then. Uh, Cabbie bursts into the trauma room saying she owes him money and tells tells them to check her bra for cash since she's sh- since she's a sex worker. Uh, Romano Not the drags, word he used because yeah. fuck this episode. Yeah. Romano drags students in to watch the treatment and he just like goes like right into the wound with like Boop. his t- finger and it just looks gross and I just, ow, I can't imagine how much that hurts and ah. Like, do you have to go like the entire... I suppose you. Ha- I suppose you have to, but there's got to be a better way to do that, Romano. Come on. Uh, Abby asks who can sign up on the surgical consult because technically Romano can't actually perform surgery. So, Beep. yeah, and he gets really pissed off about it. He's in his feelings, and then signs off anyway. Yep. He's the chief of staff and the head head of surgery. I what what I don't even know what. Uh, yeah, he I said, think but. chief of surgery. I think. But yeah, he's he's in a weird place right now. Uh, but uh, we then go back over to check on Helen, who's wor- uh, being examined by Gallant. Tells Gallant that she doesn't like to be touched, and she's saying that everybody's going to hate me even more now because of what's happened today. Uh, she has she's exhibiting symptoms of a rare disease called Wilson's disease, which uh, is something about she has like. Uh, circle thing in her eye that basically is a, basically the whole deal is that like it's indicative of like her body not filtering out copper yeah like golden rings or something or golden specks right which 
the the justification or like the the whole like I mean we'll get into it as we get deeper into the episode and as we get, especially as we get closer to the end but like this feels like especially with how minor this patient was last episode this feels like one of the most house like mm-hmm. patients yes. we've ever yes, had yes, on yes. the show where it was like they just picked a disease out of a hat and mm-hmm. and crafted an entire multi episode story about it and it's not very good <laughs> like it's just not and i think I mean, like it's 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 this is an example of the show like letting its feet go off the ground a little bit like they they are always good when they keep it grounded and keep it to the medicine and like yes crazy things happen from time to time but it's usually rooted in authenticity and like this is them like ever so slightly letting their feet leave the ground and it already like it, it's it's crazy how like not exciting and not salacious this story is and yet it still just feels so like out of place and foreign on this show like i just don't i don't like it at all <sighs> but uh carrie is talking to both galant and susan galant's like well i'm a med student so like pfft, i don't know why you wanted me to catch the i mean technically well, i think, I think... susan's yeah, I think... defending him yeah, Susan stands up for him. Su- Susan defends him and is basically like, he's a med student. That's a, a very rare diagnosis. Why would he catch that? And Carrie's like, well, what's your excuse? Fair question. Uh, Me. What's the writer writer's excuse for this episode? That's my question. They hadn't gotten uh, here in the storyboard yet. Uh, we, go over, we, we go back over to <laughs> Wilma. Arguably the most interesting storyline in this episode that they really don't do enough with. Um, because we find out, you know, through the course of conversation here that Wilma's daughter is not only trying to keep her mother alive because of, you know, trying to preserve her mother's life, but she also needs her mom's social security checks, which is a very real predicament that persists, you know, to this day. And Mm -hmm. I think would have been an interesting thing to dig deeper on in this episode. And I'm annoyed that they kind of relegate it to a C plot and it doesn't really end up meaning all that much. I just feel like there was a lot more to dig into there than there was with the salacious house patient. Like swap those places, make this the 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 front facing storyline, and make the 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 crazy girl with the weird illness make that the c plot that like we check in on occasionally. I would have preferred that much more. Um, but we go back and check in on Monica now. Uh, Monica says it was one of her regulars that went off on her. And she does, you know, she's a sex worker to feed her kids, which, again, also is a very real thing that happens. And Chen judges her a little for leaving the kids home alone after they're tucked in while she's out working. And yeah, Chen is insanely judgy this episode this is, about this. this Holy is, shit. This yeah. feels weird for her. And I think it was somebody in our Discord pointed out how um, the writing in Seasons... I believe the the person I was reading the response from said seven, eight, and nine. But I do think it's particularly glaring this season. They do a lot of out of character writing. Like they do a lot of they they lose the thread on a lot of characters where it's like we're just gonna start randomly having this person behave this way, and there's been really not much justification for it. Like I think once we get towards the end of the episode, I think again, they try to draw this very clumsy line between, Mm -hmm. between this woman's situation and the fact that Chen had to give her, her son up for adoption. And it's like, uh, okay. Like I would have preferred you to show your work, but I guess that works. Like it was just like, 
it, it's a very clumsily written thing in my opinion and like it, it doesn't it doesn't make her look good as a, a character like it doesn't do anything other than diminish her in the eyes of the audience and it they don't really do anything to like engender much sympathy for the mother either like they kind of just this feels like one of those R. Scott Gimmel things like well oh, this sucks like everybody's just shitty here for no reason I don't know uh, but we then go over to the cops who show up looking for Abby at the admit desk, and it turns plot out... Plot twist. Right. Plot twist for the sake of a plot twist. Turns out Eric's plane is missing. And Maggie asked for uh, uh, help with the cops getting in touch with Abby because Abby wasn't returning her calls. And this, I wish, was... I wish I cared more. Like, I, I wish they made... <laughs> I wish they made me care more. Like, I... They, it's just so out of left field. It's, it's very out of left field, and, like, I think it's one of those things that, like, I think you can only get away with it once from a shock value standpoint. Like, on a rewatch, this does not hold up because you're like, well, I don't care. I know he's alive. Like, I know that... Yeah. I know I know that he's going to come back. I didn't before remember the end that. <laughs> yeah, but, like, so it just... Well, but, but based off of just watching this episode, I was thinking back to that moment from last week where I was like, I can totally see why, why Lizzie came away thinking that this character dies and, died. and he just dies off screen and we don't see him anymore. Because, like, that's kind of... They, they don't leave much wiggle room for him to possibly have lived by the end of this episode. So I'll be very interested having my memory, my muscle memory kind of failing me at this point in, in the show. I'll be very interested to see how they untangle that web between now and the end of the season when he does what he does. Because, like, I, they don't leave much room for interpretation at the end of this episode. It's basically like, yeah, he's dead. Like, and you're not going to be seeing that character anymore. So I don't know. I think for me, the biggest reason why it's like, I don't care and this is terrible is because it's like, didn't we just hear, like, just deal with him not being anywhere? Like, didn't yeah. we just go for a looking for Eric situation? Which isn't to say it's not important, but it's like, we we, we just did this. Mm-hmm. Like. I know. Yes, Abby's life sucks. Yes, her family sucks. And it was too, Great. in my opinion, it was too soon, at, both after the let's go look for Eric episode and the. Him, last week. him buying the plane in last week's episode like i like i said on, on in on last week's episode i felt like that whole thing was very shoehorned in and was literally existed just to justify this episode it, and i would have much preferred that they put it in an episode two three four before this like where it's like let it breathe a little bit like let us let us be told that he bought the plane and this is this is what he's going to do and then let it marinate for a little bit like, don't immediately turn around and be like, oh, he bought a plane. And by the way, it's gone missing and he's probably dead. Credits. Like, I just, you know, let it breathe a little bit. Let it marinate. Trust the audience a little bit more. And that's, again, something that I feel like they were much better about in the old, in the old days, which was trusting the audience. They would trust the audience way more than they, do, than they seem to be in this season. Like, this season there does feel like a distinct shift in their willingness to believe that the audience is going to remember stuff longer than one week apart you know i mean fucking you know uh mark's dad shows up and doesn't really get to do much for a full two like season and a half two seasons before they they pick up that thread but they trusted that the audience would remember here it's been a fucking week and they're like well hold on now he got the plane last week so obviously it's got to crash this week (sighs) okay and after that we go to abby in the lounge she's trying to get more information about Eric going missing and Susan walks in and overhears 
Abby Page Carter in Miami, but his flight had already left, and Abby hasn't called her mom back yet. She's just trying to kind of fact find on her own right now. Uh, she paged Carter. I'm just, <laughs> just that's. I've got um, hey, I've gotten one of those pages at the airport before. Oh yeah, I guess paging at the airport. Yeah. I was thinking like she paged him like on the. Yeah no, like John Carter, please go to the white curtain, the nearest white courtesy phone or whatever the, that is. That was an actually very good airport announcer voice. Nicely done. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I want to do anything but talk about this more. Uh, Monica Walker's kids have been dropped off and I think it's the, the daughter goes, did she get mugged again? And of course, Monica denied everything to the cops when they came in. Says so she like fell in a window, I guess. Some like that, I, I guess. I don't know. What'd you do? Uh, Pratt is then working on an elderly man with a screaming hearing aid. And as this is happening, he gets results back on Stan regarding his anemia. Stan's doctor never did a shilling test on him, and he doesn't actually have pernicious anemia. His vitamin B12 levels are good. He's fine. He's not actually sick. Which Pratt's is like, oh, good news. Great. Go enjoy your clean bill of health. Okay. We'll see how that goes in a little bit. Uh, but then Monica's little boy says he can stay home and take care of her. Like, great. Sister's like, he just doesn't want to go to school and take a test. Very cute banter. Clearly good kids. Great. Let's just, let's show how well adjusted these children are. That's the whole point of this. Um, Carrie is on the phone saying she doesn't think she's going to be able to get home early, but maybe a late supper with Sandy. And Sandy apparently is not too pleased with this because... She sounds like she's arguing back when Carrie's like, oh, gotta go. Hmm. And she leaves to go talk to Helen's dad, who is played by... Yeah, Helen's dad, Walter, played by actor Kevin Brief, who uh, has appearances on stuff like Supernatural, Big Bang Theory, and Criminal Minds, and has not quite the high watermark for the episode, but nothing to sneeze at, 148 credits to his name. Frank, Halle, and Chuni are doing, you know, Frank, Halle, and Chuni things. They're Googling... <laughs> Uh, Susan's blind date and they click on a rock climber hey and Susan is very impressed hey we rock climbers we're buff beautiful people okay gotta gotta love our butts every Uh, single climber I follow on Instagram we all have the same legs we all have the exact same terrifying calves if nothing else you say terrifying I say attractive Uh, why not both Abby gets gets all (laughs) what's the Bill Hader thing mark me down as scared and horny uh (laughs) Yes. Abby gets all snippy with everyone. Uh, Hale apologizes about Eric and hopes that pe- that they find him. <sighs> and then we see Chen talking to no. uh, DCFS. Uh, she reported the mother. <gasps> um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Chen uh, talks down to Abby as a nurse just to, you know, throw a cherry on top of the shit Sunday here. Because, yeah, and... Abby tries to, like, be like, this isn't fucking cool. What are you doing? She tries to stand up for it. And Chen's like, you don't have power here. Right. She literally says, you're just a nurse. Yeah. Hey. And Gallant sees the whole thing. Uh, and our DCFS guy here, who, you know, up until re- up until literally like a couple of, a couple of episodes ago, this would have easily been an Adele scene. Um, but, of course, Adele has been apparated into the Shadow Realm, so we had to replace her with what I thought might be like a temporary interim, you know, middleman guy that might carry us through. 
nope. This guy is here for one and only uh, this this episode and this episode alone. Bruce, the DCFS guy, uh, who does have something of an interesting story himself. The uh, actor does anyway. Uh, actor Richard Biggs, who appeared on stuff like Babylon Five, Tremors, and three hundred and eighty four episodes of the soap opera Days of Our Lives. So hope he got. That's like half a season. That's true. There are <laughs> there are a lot of episodes of that fucking show. Um, and uh, unfortunately, though, this actor did pass away in 2004, so just the year after this episode. Um, mm. Sounds like uh, he had an aortic dissection, uh, which is Ooh, yeah, the, the same thing that killed uh, John Ritter. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes me sad. Don't, don't remind me John Ritter is gone. Yeah, that was a bummer. Uh, so, yeah, just a weird little footnote there. Uh, but we go back and check on Wilma, who's uh, on oxygen right now, uh, but is somewhat lucid. So Susan tries to explain her condition to her while the daughter is out of the room. Uh, gets to the point where she does; she has talked enough sense into Wilma that she doesn't want to be intubated, and tells her that she can sign a DNR. Uh, and Wilma does some talking about plums in their backyard. So I, th- I think it's showing that she kind of has questionable lucidity. Yeah, maybe. That, it's, it's again yeah, it's one of those things it's one of those aspects of the story that like i okay do, do, do show your work like, like tease it out do a little bit more like this this episode feels very first drafty is is what mm-hmm. it feels like this episode feels like a lot of broad strokes ideas for what they would like to do in an episode containing these elements but they didn't actually do any of the like hardcore like all right let's drill down on like three or four ideas and flesh out an episode we just went with the broad strokes and just decided to fill 45 minutes. All right. Let's go to our next audio clip then. Abby is up smoking on the roof when, roof when Gallant shows up. I brought an umbrella just in case. It is beautiful from up here, isn't it? Yeah. Listen, if, uh, if you need any help, you can get a... Make some calls, answer some questions. I... Do you believe people can die instantly? Sorry. I don't know. I'm a nurse. I don't know if I believe it happens instantly. A second can seem like a lifetime. Like when you hit the brakes to avoid hitting another car, it seems like it takes forever to stop. But maybe if you go nose first into the water at 200 miles an hour, it is instantaneous. At least I hope it is. Why do you think you went nose first? I better get back to work. I love this friendship. Yeah, I just the Lizzie. the the content like the 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 content of this scene is just so odd. Like I just don't this I don't know something about it just doesn't it doesn't get there for me. I don't know. Yeah, I see what you mean, and just like. Cause like yeah, yeah like how how she automatically jumps to suicide right and how there's like 
Yes, there, I guess you could say that there's something of an established friendship between Gallant and Abby, but not really. Like, there's not that much between those two characters. So the, the idea that they would be having this conversation together, I don't know. It just it just struck me oddly. But again, I don't know who else. I mean, if Luca's not in this episode, it honestly makes more sense for this to be a Luca conversation. And, but he's just not in this episode. So I guess they have to find a substitute. And Carter, for whatever reason, they decided to write light this week. So he's not in. S- Carrie's preoccupied with other shit. Susan's preoccupied with other shit. So it's just like, who is she supposed to have this conversation with? It's like, you know, I guess it ends up being Galat by process of elimination. Someone who helped her in the past. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, Especially I guess there is Eric. that. Right. There is that connection, I suppose. But like, again, it's so flimsy. Like there's, there's so much of the justifications in this episode are so flimsy. And uh, I don't know. And, but I would like to point out. We learned that it is, in fact, possible to die basically instantly. Thanks to the submarine thing. Well, yeah that the pressure killed them faster than their brains could even process it. So they wouldn't have even realized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I don't, not to go down that fucking rabbit hole, but I guess I, I did read something or, or see something where they, they, they have some evidence that they believe that the sub was ascending when it imploded. So like they, they knew something was wrong and they knew they needed to ascend, but as far as like when they would know the instant that it happened, you know, no, they, they wouldn't have, there just wasn't, it's too instantaneous that their brains couldn't possibly process it. So it was not a painful death, but it was, it was at least plausible that they may have known something was wrong, but it's still just, you know, again, there's a, there's a kernel of a good idea here. Like there's a kernel of a good idea of, of that, that whole, like, is it instant? You know, a second could feel like forever and like, whatever, like there's, there's something there. Like, let's do two or three more passes on this script and, and drill down on that and maybe come up with a, you know, a really poignant moment out of this. But this is just very like first draft nonsense. And it's just not, it's not for me. It's not for me, fam. <sighs> I just, but yeah, I going back, I, I love their friendship. I wish we had gotten more of them because I really do like them like unified. Like when he takes care of her at the base and him looking out for her here because of, you know, him helping find Eric. Like if it was going to be anyone, it kind of makes sense for it to be him. Yeah. Obviously it'd be great if it was Luca, but like, I want to see more Gallant and Abby. I'm curious about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think we get any more, but I want more. Especially, and doesn't like, oh, sorry. I was going to say, especially because he ends up with Neela. Like you'd think the three of them would hang out all the time. Whole thing. Anyway, doesn't matter. I was going to say, though, it's, I'm, I, while Daniel hates it, I am, of course, in the camp of, it's fine. Oh, this scene in particular, or just, in yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it's not offensively, but I'm certainly not, this is not afternoon delight here. This is not, I'm not mad at it. Like, I'm, you know, I just wish it was, I just wish that it was uh, a f- more fully realized vision. Like, like I said, it feels like a lot of good ideas on paper, just not fully realized. Uh, so we get a great just transition here and I wish we had gotten like Troy Evans to do this line when we were talking to him because it's it's just peak Frank all of a sudden we cut over to Frank on the phone and he says so you say you're sick you're broke you're unemployed and uninsured sure come on over and at first I thought like that this was going to be him talking to Susan's blind date or something and being like yeah come on since he's been taking messages it wasn't he's just saying somebody come to 
County. Great, cool. But just delivery as always. We love you, Troy Evans. Please keep being perfect. And uh, Pratt's getting ready to head out, and Gallant says he's going to stick around and study. Gives Pratt a postcard from Leon, which is like a full postcard, so it looks like he's doing pretty great settling down in Baltimore. Um, and Pratt sees his anemic patient, Stan- his quote, anemic patient Stanley sitting in chairs still. He's like, dude, you're healthy. Go paint the town. And he's like, I can't. All my friends are tired at home because they're anemic. My whole life was built around this diagnosis. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And Pratt goes, you could try enjoying yourself. Okay. It's that easy. Yeah. It's that fucking easy. Cool. <laughs> don't be homeless. Just buy a house. Yeah. Don't don't be anxious. Just calm down. Yeah. And there's... Don't be sad. Just think of... Just be happy. And last time I checked, there's no, uh, like, law that says that you have to uh, have the condition that you are president of the advocacy uh, organization for said illness. Like, just because you don't have the thing yourself doesn't mean that you can't still advocate for it. Everybody go advocate for epilepsy awareness. Thank you. Bye. Uh, Abby tells Carter finally about what happened to Eric now that he's landed, and she immediately tries to pivot and ask, oh, yeah, how's the water? Well, she's taking everyone's work to keep busy. Like you do. Like you do. And we learned, somebody says here, like, haven't you been on since yesterday? Mm, I didn't catch that. So good, good catch there. Yeah. Uh, we then see Susan wheeling a patient into the exam room where Helen is. Uh, they still haven't found her a bed upstairs yet. Uh, this is where we get our twist for the sake of a twist. No. Uh, where she's uh, now Helen is a little upset that only Terry died, not Sasha. I don't know how that could have happened. Sasha was meaner. And okay, like again, this is the this is another this is the house thing. Like it was a twist but now we're going to do a twist on top of the twist so that you're you forget about the original twist and then it's just da, 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 da. <laughs> no <laughs> just stay in your lane er just stay in your fucking lane let let house be house you and house doesn't even exist yet like we're, we're no not yet we're still not there we're, we're still like well actually no i think maybe 2003 is when it starts but we're you know you, you can still just be ER. You don't have to try to be other things. Uh, but we see Monica's kids being dragged away screaming by DCFS and Wilma coded. So it's just everything's coming up Millhouse here in the last 15 minutes of this episode. And House was 2004. Hey, so we're getting closer. Yep. Cool beans. Uh, Susan tells Carrie that they need to talk about Helen, uh, which... Carrie says it could be Carrie says it could just be oh it's just the it's just the Wilson's disorder Wilson's disease whatever that is she's uh but Susan then drops the bomb uh she seems disappointed that more of them didn't die which oh great okay totally normal yeah I love how Carrie's like oh a flat affect could totally be from the Wilson's Susan's like no go go fucking talk to this kid like, Susan is horrified of her, and I love it. But then um, Susan finally gets to the kid with the clotted pick line, and uh, he has it for stage 3C testicular cancer. And Daniel, 
who plays Sean. Yes. Our pick, our, our pick line kid. Pick line kid here who uh, I don't remember if we mentioned it earlier in the episode because he he makes like a very like blink and you miss it appearance at the towards the beginning yeah. of the episode. But things are so chaotic that they don't focus on him for very long. Um, this is where we actually see him for the first time uh, in the in full. Uh, and Sean here is played by actor Patrick Fugit. Uh, who appeared in stuff like Almost Famous, Gone Girl, and the TV series Saved. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, he is making his first of three appearances. What? Uh, Saved is not a TV series. It's always great in in an audio medium to just wave your finger back and forth because they can always hear you going, "Uh, no, just just correct. Yeah, Saved is not a TV series. It's an excellent movie. Uh, Well, I'll add it to the list. See what I did there? Thumbs up. They could see that. First of three appearances for Sean. One of my one of my uh, favorite actors. That's probably pops up in everything. It, uh, it pops up in so many things that I love. Almost Famous, Gone Girl, and Saved are all at least nine out of ten who movies. F- who the fuck was he in Gone Girl? Uh, he was one of the officers who oh, finds yeah. he finds out that the girl is gone. Shut up. <laughs> You're grounded. Shut up. Um, and, again, then, and he has scenes throughout the movie. Yep. Uh, then we have Romano. He's doing some admin walkthroughs up in surgery recovery, just checking in on stuff, trying to feel useful with everything going on. And the girl from the beginning of the episode remembers him and asks how she did. He's yeah. like, you did great. I'll be back to check on you. Again, Paul McCrane's trying. I can't remember if that bled into the audio clip or not. Anyway, but our if, audio if clip it here. does, oops. Our last audio clip here is uh, Romano talking to Anspa about some concerns about this so-called memo. These two should be reviewed in the surgical committee. You got it. I remember you. Rocket. How'd I do? Very, very well. Because you promised you'd take care of me, right? Get some rest. Send them to the QA office. To Dresden can transfer to Four West. And I am going home to soak my feet. Donald, have a minute. Dr. Romano, what can I do for you? Well, I read your memo, and I think your concerns are valid. So, I'm willing to limit my surgical supervision to 50-year residents. Keep going to physical therapy. Wait, wait, let, look, hear me out. They already have all the skills they need. I would just be there to comment and observe as a, as a formality. You have physical liabilities. One or two cases a week during which I wouldn't have to lift a finger. You simply cannot expose patients or the hospital to unnecessary risks. Look, 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 look. Just keep me on the schedule, even if it's a name only. Dr. Romano. Damn it, please don't make me beg. Until your recovery has progressed further, let's use your expertise to help our students. Cold as ice. Let Paul McCrane actually develop this character <laughs> let him cook let him cook <laughs> uh, what is that from i have no idea okay i but just I, I know what it means but i'm just continuously mad about how the, how they've done romano dirty just it is very uh very much unrealized potential there should should be a much bigger deal than it is <sighs> Can this episode just be subtitled "The Downfall of Paul McCrane" as the character? Uh, I mean, sure. it's not like they're never gonna do anything with him ever again, but it certainly doesn't bode well for the future. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, 
We then see Carrie popping into Helen's room, wants to get a psych consult before they send her up because of the whole being mad that not enough of her classmates died thing. Uh, and uh, tells tells Dad that Helen still has capacity to make decisions even in spite of her uh, illness. So uh, this whole her being crazy thing is just a coincidence. So, great. Uh, sure, I'm glad we went down that detour. Uh, totally. Susan is uh, giving the uh, Sean the uh, pick line kid giving hit uh, giving his pick line a cleaning. Uh, we find out that he had chemo ten days ago, and uh, so as a result, he is uh, immunosuppressed. So the ER is the last place he should be. Uh, Susan's date finally shows up, and uh, she decides pretty much on a whim that like, oh, I actually have to stick around with my patient, and uh, I can't go out with you. Sorry, bye. I don't want to give up steak. Uh, so great again this is the beginning of like a thing so you know we're, we're I, I wish they'd spent more time setting it up in any in any level this episode like i wish they would have spent more time with this than a lot of other things but it's okay this will eventually lead susan to having donald Logue's baby so hey there you go there we go. uh chen and pratt are ooh very steamy chen, chen and pratt are curled up naked on the couch ooh la la as lauren rips her headphones off uh, they are surrounded by candles and she asks if he missed Leon and he asks if she ever thought about having kids and she is vulnerable and tells tells her about the random baby that she had. It would help if I had the pronouns right in those notes, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, she tells him, uh, did I say he tells no, her? No, I just was reading it and I was like, wait, what? Okay. It's like... I'm Ron Burgundy? No, I was wondering you're... if I had one of those moments. <laughs> nope, you were good. I just was reading it, and I was like, what the fuck am I saying? Yeah, and she's all like, yeah, he's being raised by good people, and Pratt says, aren't you good people? Mm. I'm very proud yeah. for Chen, though, for sticking up for herself and saying, hey, I just wasn't ready. Yeah, yeah. and that's okay. I'm also... <laughs> that, kid is, that kid is having a nice life, and you weren't sure you could provide it for him. I'm also... Uh very here for the like abrupt tonal shift of where she she like pours out her soul to him about like you know yeah i had a kid this this major revelation of like oh hey yeah i had a kid and i had to give him up for adoption and you know but i still think it was the right thing and blah blah like she's just like pouring her soul and then like literally like two seconds later he does the bare minimum amount of comforting and then he's like i'm gonna go take a shower and then just leaves <laughs> like it was so like you don't want to like maybe try a little tenderness there pratt just hang out I for an, an extra minute or two i interpreted it as you know he might have been uncomfortable with the fact that she gave the kid oh, up sure. and like disagreed with that decision so he was just like maybe not even maybe inadvertently distancing himself from the conversation right but uh then we go over to god damn it we go over to some very heavy melancholy piano music as abby gets home there are 17 new messages on her machine and we see her on the phone trying to get a hold of maggie apologizing for not calling her sooner and leaving a message and then it fades over to her checking out groceries with a bottle of liquor on the belt as her voiceover continues leaving the message for maggie oof this is fine bleak uh so i'm gonna go first on this one um while not a stunner by any means, no, this is six, six, six point five tops. Like, yeah, 6. yeah I was about 5. to say no. Like, this at least felt a little bit less all over the place tonally than some of the other ones we've had lately. Mm-hmm. 
and it's like, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel here. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm going to have to write a whole fucking apology to her letter at the end of this season. When I said I was looking forward to season nine, I must have meant ten. Fuck, this is such a weird transition season. You might have thought, Afri- you might have thought of Africa played into more than just one episode I, this that, season. That could have very well. There's several things that could have been. I could have thought, oh, Pratt's here. That means like, blah, all this is happening. So either way, I'm going to I'm gonna say right now I'm already eating crow, but there will be a full essay on why I was wrong. It's um, okay. It's okay to be wrong. But you're thinking, yeah, six. you got to think next season that when yeah. we get Archie and then... Archie becomes the ER fool, yeah. and then Pratt gets upgraded to wise mentor. There's there's so much. I'm going to stop looking forward to seasons and being wrong. I'm just going <laughs> to take it, them yeah. as they come, just, Mike. Just let it wash But over. either way, yeah. this one, whelmed. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. That's, that's, a, that's a perfect summation for me as well. Whelmed. Feels... Nothing spectacular, nothing inherently super offensive uh-huh. to me. Well. But just, just, <laughs> I well, can think for, of one scene. To me, I said... I said to me, sir, sir. Yeah. Uh, you're you're entitled yeah, to your. To, but just opinion. nothing like stands out as amazing, or I just didn't care. Am I, okay, is this recency bias or? Yes. What? Is this like is the, that possible for a twenty-year-old like But no, but like recency and like we're talking about season nine sure. now. But like, is this the worst set of like? Uh, what, what do we call them? The, 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 the mid-season, mid-season doldrums? doldrums. Yeah, I, I was thinking that. Is this yeah. the worst it's, of those so It is far? by far the squishiest, squishy middle we have had, I think, to date. The only other one I can think of that kind of comes close is season four. Season four's okay. middle ground was very squishy and very, like, we were just like, what are we doing here, fam? Like, we're just, like, spinning our wheels. But even that, I want to say, lasted, like four episodes three maybe this feels like we are on like our what was the last like truly good episode in this season thus far at uh insurrection first snowfall i think first oh yeah first 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 snowfall snowfall, that was eight this is 14 so we are now six we're on a streak of six fine to not that good episodes like just like the best you can say about any of the ones we've had in the last six weeks has been it's fine it's that they're due for a good one and it's um the, the and like i was saying earlier throughout the episode like this this episode just feels like a first draft that that didn't get the full treatment like didn't get the full you know because there's some good ideas in here but like none of it goes beyond surface level none of it ever gets there and like uh again going back to the discord like somebody pointed out in the discord that one of the things that is really jarring about the season nine writing is that they clearly made a choice after season eight, after Mark was gone and like they kind of elevate Carter in the early half of the season to like top of the top of the food chain. Like he it's, it's no longer purely an ensemble show and it is, it is the John Carter show for a while. And as a result through that sort of failed experiment, they kind of lose for a while. They kind of lose the ability to write, just regular ass day in the ER type episodes. Like if it's not a major event type thing and there's not like heart pounding drama after like mass casualty. And this is like, if it's not just like balls to the wall, crazy, they kind of have lost the thread and have lost the ability to just write just a day in the ER type of episodes. Like, and I, I don't know if that's something that is missing because you're missing that steady, even keeled thing of Mark, but like it just doesn't, 
work at this point. It's not there that whatever that magic ingredient is that's missing, they are just really struggling to find it. They're really struggling to find that, like that little niche thing that gets them to those. It doesn't have to be, not every episode has to be blizzard. Not every episode has to be this like crazy mass casualty thing. Not every episode has to have a weird plot twist about right. some fucking psycho 15 And that's what I'm saying. I, I feel like they're trying to, because I think they know from a budget standpoint and from just an audience fatigue standpoint that they can't do your blizzards and your crossings and your, your exoduses. They can't do those episodes every single week because they'd run out of budget 10 episodes in. Um, so they're, but they're seemingly deathly afraid of losing the audience's attention for even a second. And so they're, they're writing in these bizarre twists and these like weird, like don't look away, gotcha moments. And I just, I, I desperately want them to just give me a regular ass day in the ER with compelling patients that make you think, make you feel like, just do that stuff. I don't need the girl with the rare disorder who you know oh by the way actually she's also crazy that's the subtext here it's just like no man just give me like a regular make me care about wilma make me care about will the plight of wilma and her daughter make me care about monica and her kids make me care about that stuff i really don't give a shit about the house stuff if i wanted to watch house stuff i'd go watch house that's not what i'm here for so it's that that's I, I just want them to get better at that. And I know they will. It's, it's not like, you know, it's not like we're never going to. But it does feel like we have been in an extended lull here, of like five, six episodes in a row where it's just like, get to the fucking point. But but what did the listener have to say about it, Lauren? Um, Courtney says, when I rewatched this episode, I remembered why I didn't seem to remember it. It's because I found it rather un- uninspiring as a whole. But while this episode felt like it dragged, there were a couple of storylines that I did have thoughts on. Romano continuing to try and move on with his work as a surgeon, even while he is still struggling to recover from losing his arm, Romano feels like he is losing his identity, and I get it. He has always been known as a great surgeon, and now he isn't allowed anywhere near surgery. Being relegated to essentially babysitting the new students at County, and it is easily seen that he hates it. When talking to Anspa, you can see how desperate he is to get as close as he can to being back in the operating room. And for someone whose identity has always seemingly been tied to the one thing they can no longer do, it is hard to come to terms with that fact and move on. Chen and the sex worker. I'm not a fan of Chen during this storyline. I get where she is coming from in regards to legally having to report what is going on. I'm a teacher, so I am also a mandated reporter. But morally, I have a hard time with her attitude when it, about what this woman does for a living in order to support her children. From what we see, her children are well taken care of, and they love their mother, and she loves them. So yeah, sure, she is leaving her kids alone at night, and she shouldn't be. I get that. But I also don't judge her for doing what she needs to do in order to take care of her kids. I feel as though that because of how Chen was brought up and the environment in which she grew up in, she can't seem to understand why a mother might work as a sex worker in order to provide for herself and her children. Other than those two storylines, the rest of the episode was eh to me. Abby and her family troubles, which I did find much more interesting when it was just her mom and not her brother. Eh. Carrie and the alderman. Eh. The girl from a prior episode that ran over some of her classmates, which should have been more interesting. Eh. Susan and the cancer patient, I remember how this storyline develops, and I remember not liking it and feeling uncomfortable with it. But yeah, overall this episode was okay. 
just not one I would willingly choose to put on a watch again outside of a series and season rewatch. Guys, we could have just saved an hour and 15 minutes. And just read that? (laughs) Just read that. (laughs) Well... That's why people pay us the big bucks over at patreon.com slash podcast. So, so we can so we can continue to bring you ship posts and all of this other fun, wonderful nonsense that we bring to the table, like hand gestures that you can't see and <laughs> hand gestures you can't hear either. Ah yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, over at patreon.com slash podcast. If you subscribe for only $5 a month, you can get in a free assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. And over 70 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form multi-bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and character retrospectives where we def- reflect on departed main cast members. Sorry about that, guys. We'd also appreciate if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Tone community on Facebook and reach out to us if you'd like to join our Discord. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel Work. Folks, find you at... They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on Instagram, posting climbing and failing videos at lobo92345. I gotta get, I gotta do, I gotta do some more of those. They gotta actually like edit the thing and do the things anyway uh you can find me on twitter i am at random gamer that's jm3r i'm still calling it twitter because it is in fact still twitter.com anyway uh thanks again everyone very much for listening please join us again next time and have a great week Bye.